Hello everyone, and welcome to Your Christadelphian Library, where we discuss Christadelphian books with the goal of expanding biblical knowledge and stimulating spiritual thought. This is Brother Sam Robinson, and for episode 10 God Willing, we will be examining the book entitled The Atonement by Logos Publications. Now, The Atonement, as many of you will be aware, is the term for God's solution to mankind's greatest problems, the problems of sin and of death. It revolves around the work he accomplished in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a means of reconciling men and women to himself. Through Christ's atoning work, God has offered man forgiveness of their sins, fellowship with him, and a hope of eternal life with him and the Lord Jesus in the kingdom age. The atonement is one of the most if not the most important doctrines to the understanding of God's plan and purpose with this earth. Understanding this crucial doctrine is the foundation from which we can understand all other Bible teaching. In fact, this teaching is so critical to us as Christadelphians that it is either directly or indirectly mentioned in at least 16 of 30 of the truths to be received in the Birmingham Amended Statement of Faith. It is so important that all things written in Scripture spoke of, pointed forward to, or were a shadow of Christ and his work, which is to culminate in his glorious appearing on earth once again. Unfortunately, though, not all who have sought to understand the true message of Christ's atoning work have come to a correct understanding of the principles involved. Brother Robert Roberts, who is one of the many contributing authors of this book, rightly stated that there is no operation of divine wisdom that has been so completely misapprehended and misrepresented as the shedding of the blood of Christ, end quote. And this is very clearly evident to us today. We see the churches around us teaching that the sacrifice of Christ was entirely an act of substitution, that Jesus died instead of us, and that we are required to do nothing else but to declare that we believe in his work to be saved. Now, obviously, such teaching could not deviate further from the truth, but they are the beliefs that are held by the majority of Christianity around us. And so that's really where this book comes in. Brother Roberts continued that this misrepresentation should not be so. The subject calls for great reverence of mind in order to grasp its proper apprehension, if this subject is approached with a reverential, submissive respect for what the Word of God teaches in regard to the matter, confusion and error will be dissipated, and the truth unveiled in all of its pristine glory." End quote. And so, that is the purpose proposed in this book and in the study of the Atonement. If the reader reverently and prayerfully approaches the reading of this book, and it's accompanied by the scriptures revealed to us by God, then, as Brother Robert stated, the truth will be unveiled. Now, this book certainly does not claim to be an exhaustive or complete study of the Atonement, but it is rather meant to complement the excellent expositions contained in Elpis Israel, in Eureka, and the Law of Moses, and most importantly, the Scriptures themselves. However, having not yet personally read through all of those books from the Pioneer Brethren, I found this book to be an exceptional guide through many of the details of Christ's atoning work. What I also found it to do quite well was outline how we can't simply come to a full understanding of the atonement in order to receive salvation and to glorify God's name. 
but rather it emphasized the moral power involved in the atonement. That we first need to come to a knowledge of the principles, but then we have to live out those principles in our daily life. It emphasizes that we must reverently look upon Christ's example throughout his life and his death, and then follow his example, crucify the flesh each and every day in order to submit to the will of our Father. Well, with that as an introduction, we just kind of want to take a look at the layout of the book, what you can expect as you're reading through it. Well, there's six sections that make up the book. They're written by a large variety of writers, primarily Brethren Robert Roberts, H.P. Mansfield, and John Carter, but there's also quite a few other authors who contributed to this work as a whole. Now, Brother Mansfield states in the foreword that if the precepts and principles discussed in these articles be understood and appreciated, the reader can hardly fail to admire and accede to them in the development of character and finally benefit in immortality. For the atoning work of Yahweh through his Son, which began with great and precious promises, will conclude in the granting of divine nature in those who have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Then, both character and nature will be perfected, and the whole creation will redound to the glory of Yahweh. It is to that end that this volume is published. And so in order to fulfill the wish of the preface there, the book takes the following course through these six sections. Now, section one is a lecture given in 1928 by Brother C.C. Walker, and it's titled, the Bible Doctrine of Reconciliation to God. Now, I found this section very helpful because it outlines some of the difficult words and phrases that have to do with this essential doctrine. It defines the words atonement, law, sin, justification, and so on. And so I found this a perfect beginning to the book. It was quite helpful to come back to this section each time I read phrases in further sections that I didn't quite understand. Each definition is concise, and it's backed by biblical principles. Section 2 is a lecture given in 1873 by Brother Robert Roberts, titled The Slain Lamb. Now, this lecture, it was a response to the teaching of Brother Edward Turney at about the same time, who believed that when Adam sinned, there was no physical change in his constitution. In other words, we do not inherit Adam's mortality when we're born, but rather when we commit our first sin. And that's what you might recognize today as the clean flesh theory. Now, to make a statement such as Brother Turney did, is to say that Christ didn't inherit Adam's mortality, and so he didn't have to die on the cross. Now, that is a critical error that completely undermines many of the principles involved in Christ's sacrifice. And so Brother Roberts clearly and distinctly goes about opposing such doctrine in this lecture. Section 3 is a very, a very short section. It's again by Brother Roberts, and he simply answers 32 questions about the atonement. And the answers are very concise, and they're based on extensive biblical evidence. Section 4 was what I found to be a very interesting section. It was a debate between Brother Roberts and J.J. Andrew on the topic of resurrectional responsibility. Now that is a very relevant topic to us today, because there are many in our midst who believe the legalistic teaching of Brother Andrew, who first promoted the doctrine 
that has become known as Adamic Condemnation. Now if you do choose to pick up this book and read it at some point, I would actually recommend skipping over this section, finishing the rest of the book through, and then coming back to read this debate. Now I simply did that because I found many of the terms and issues confusing when I first started reading through it. And I often found myself lost in the argument and unsure of what either speaker was really saying. So if you go through the rest of the book, you might be able to come to a fuller understanding of some of the terms and the arguments they're using, and then you can better understand the um, debate at hand. Now, of course, you don't have to do it that way. That is just a personal suggestion. Section 5 is an article published in 1895, again by Brother Roberts, titled The Blood of Christ. Now, this was easily my favorite section of the whole book. It's a shorter section, only about 20 pages, but I found it to be the most useful and understandable explanation of the subject of the atonement that I've ever heard. It's a remarkably concise exposition of a beautiful subject. Brother Roberts has this incredible way of touching all of the necessary details. He uses very simple and understandable language, and what I also find interesting is that he often threads together many verses of scripture into whole paragraphs of arguments. And so I would highly recommend that, if nothing else, you at least choose to read this section of the book. I have no doubt that it will help you come to a greater understanding of the atoning work of Christ and the change of character that it begs from the reader. Section 6 is the last section, and it's by far the largest. It consists of 39 chapters, or articles, written by many different brethren, primarily by Brother H.P. Mansfield, but also Brother Henry Sully, Brother Islip Collier, and quite a few others. It explores many of the different subjects of the atonement. It answers the question of, what is sin? It answers how Christ bears our sins, how the flesh is related to death, and so on. Now, throughout these 39 articles, I found an incredible consistency. And I thought that really backs up the reality of our beliefs. There are so many different brethren that have come to the same conclusion of Christ and his work, and the truth of that is clearly evident in this section. The essential points are drilled home over and over, leaving the reader without a question of uncertainty. I found the consistent message and repetition of key points to be exceptionally helpful in developing my understanding of the subject. Now, throughout these six articles, there are some key ideas that are outlined. So as you go through the book, you'll see these ideas over and over. First of all, it outlines how there are two uses of the word sin. There is transgression of law on the one hand, and sin in the flesh on the other hand. Sin in the flesh being our mortal and sin-prone nature. The book outlines the difference between Christ and us. That while he had our same human nature and was tempted in all points like as we are, his character was entirely different. It was one entirely devoted to the purpose of God. It talks about how in all of this, the main purpose is the righteousness of God. It mentions how our human nature, inherited from Adam, is our misfortune, not our crime. It explains verses like Romans 5 verse 21, which says, For he, which is God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Of course, Christ never did sin, and so this verse is clearly explained in this book. 
It answers why Christ had to be baptized despite having never committed a sin. And it outlines how Christ was not a substitute for us. He had to offer for himself as well to inherit immortality. Now obviously we could go into each of these ideas much further in detail, but I'll leave that to you to discover through a reading of this book. To finish off, I just want to read a few quotes that I thought really portray the usefulness and the content you will find in reading this book. The first quote comes from section 5, chapter 28, titled, It is Finished, and it has to do with the real purpose of Christ's work. It says, These scriptures highlight the purpose for which Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. As defined by Brother Thomas, men were not ushered into being for the purpose of being saved or lost. God manifestation, not human salvation, was the great purpose of the eternal spirit. The salvation of a multitude is incidental to the manifestation, but was not the end proposed. The eternal spirit intended to enthrone himself on earth, and in, in so doing to develop a divine family from among men, every one of whom shall be spirit, because born of the spirit, and that this family shall be large enough to fill the earth when perfected to the entire exclusion of flesh and blood. And jumping down on the page a bit, Psalm 79 verse 9 reveals the reason for the salvation of sinners. It reads, Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of thy name, and deliver us and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. From these scriptures, it is evident that true servants of the deity will imitate the same disposition as was in Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be eagerly seized upon. They have no selfish or self-centered ambition for personal glory. Rather, they share the same objective that motivated the Lord Jesus. O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self. The objective of the sinner must be to see God glorified in mankind, rather than mere human salvation. The manifestation of Yahweh's glory transcends all else in spiritual vision of all true believers. I found this quote really hit home. I believe we often find ourselves living out the principles that God has given us for the purpose of our own salvation. How often do we remember that the whole reason of our being is that we might bring God glory? As Brother John Thomas stated, God manifestation, not human salvation was the great purpose of the eternal spirit. Brother Mansfield continues this idea in the very last section, where he states, We need to elevate the righteousness of God in life. That is seen in worship, in the reading of the scriptures, in the study of the word, in the display of right thinking and actions in life. Thereby we reenact, in a limited way, the example of the Lord. There must not only be the negative condemnation and avoidance of sin. There must also be the positive expression of what is right. The Pharisees spoke, but did not perform. They condemned, but failed to implement. They were altogether negative in their approach to the truth. The atonement requires us to dedicate lives and hearts to the doing of his commandments in works of faith and love. The last quote I want to read to you is again found in the very last section. This section is titled, The Atonement in Daily Life, 
and it really emphasizes the way these principles must affect our behavior. Speaking of Christ's public display on the cross, we read, When the cavalcade of criminals reached the public place on Golgotha's hill, the rough stake was erected and Jesus was lifted up. He had already testified that this would happen. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It was a public demonstration of what God was accomplishing. This was not to be hidden in a corner, for unless people saw and understood, they could never be saved. The brazen serpent was presented to the serpent-bitten generation that they might look upon it and live. But there was no salve to those whose eyes were closed. The Hebrew word for beheld signifies to scan, to look intently, with the idea that those who desired salvation might continue to look closely at and understand the implications of the serpent lifted up. It was a public witness of the work accomplished. As involvees of the atonement, we must similarly be lifted up in the sense that a witness must be given concerning our identification with Christ. Whether in home, ecclesia, or society, we must give an answer for the hope within us. There must be a lifting up of the principles we believe and the hope we espouse. There is no place for cowards in spiritual things, but a need for stamina, courage, and determination. We should not be afraid, for Yahweh our God fights for us. Therefore we must present our witness aloft, as did faithful Noah. The work of the atonement, however, brought agony and suffering to the Master. For six hours he hung from the stake of shame, suffering the ignominy and indignities of the mocking crowd below. But through it all, the Master's voice gave vent to his feelings as mediator, king, and savior. Finally, he exclaimed, Into thy hands I commend my spirit, as he offered to the Father a life fulfilled and complete. As we await the day of final decision, our voices must continue to sound, even though our lives might suffer trauma and anguish. We must keep declaring the eternal principles which sustained the Son of God in his hour of trial. Let the voice of spirit be developed in our hearts and expressed on our lips, so that at the end, our life will have been offered to the glorification of the Father. And that brings us to the end of our review of this book on the Atonement. Overall, I found this book to be a very solid exposition of Christ's atoning work, the principles involved, and the moral power it contains. It really drives the readers to consider the matter more closely, to reverently meditate upon all that God has done for us, and then to let that truly drive them to do all they can in order to glorify God's name. I certainly hope you do take the time to read through this book, and I can guarantee that it will help your understanding of the atonement, whether you're looking into first principles for baptism, if you're looking for study material on the subject, or if you've been in the truth for 50 years and are wanting an uplifting and encouraging read. That's it for this podcast. I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen, and I encourage you to join back next week on Your Christadelphian Library when Brother Seth Robinson will be discussing The Law of Moses by Brother Robert Roberts.